Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, as we continue walking our way through each of the pieces of armor that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says we desperately need to fight the spiritual battle that we are engaged in day in and day out as believers. I want you to think about, as we begin this message on the helmet of salvation, what is the most important thing about you? Let that roll around in your head for just a bit. What is the most important thing about you? A lot of us are probably thinking right now, I know what the church answer is supposed to be, but there's a lot of things that we would say are super important about us. Maybe it's what we do. Maybe it's your job, your vocation. Maybe it's the fact that you are retired. There's a few amens out there, right? I heard you. Maybe it's the fact that you are a grandparent. And you don't have any other responsibility anymore for children. You get to ruin your grandchildren, right? That's who you are. You're excited about that. Maybe you think the most important thing about you is something in the past. Something that you did once at that point. In fact, you know people like this, they live practically in the past. You ask them anything about their lives and they always go to what I used to do. Well, I was a really good ball player back in the day. Right after God made dirt, remember that, remember? But it's in the past. And some, the most important thing about you, you think is going to be in the future. Think about our seniors this morning and them wrestling through what is life going to look like down the road. And and maybe that will be the most important thing about me is what I do one day. And yet, as you probably have guessed, The reality that God's word paints for us is that the most important thing about us, Jesus said, is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That we have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. If we are believers, that is the most important thing about you and about me. And if that is true, doesn't it make perfect sense that if Satan was going to attack the life of a believer, that our salvation, assurance, certainty of what Christ has done in our lives would be the point of attack that he would go towards? In fact, we're going to unpack that this morning as we look at the helmet of salvation. I want to read the text for us, and then we will zoom in this morning on the first part of verse 17, the helmet of salvation. But this is God's Word, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we dive in to focus on verse 17, the first part this morning, the helmet of salvation, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together as we walk through the four questions that we've been walking through each week. It's this truth. Salvation is the hallmark of hope in the midst of spiritual battle. Salvation is the hallmark of hope in the midst of of spiritual battle. What we've done over the last number of weeks together is focus on the reality that every single one of us who are followers of Jesus are engaged in spiritual battle every single day. There is no rest days in the life of a follower of Jesus. We are always at war with an enemy. That's been described here by Paul as Satan, as the one who is over the prince of power of the air. You know, it's interesting when you walk through that, you realize that he is scheming day in and day out with his demons to do everything he can to dissuade us and distract us from following Jesus with our lives. And in the midst of that, Paul writes to this group of believers in Ephesus and himself being chained likely to a Roman soldier looking at this armor begins to unpack for them and for us what it looks like to engage in this spiritual battle prepared with the armor that he describes. We began with the belt of truth. We moved on from that to the breastplate of righteousness and then the shoes of the gospel of peace, and then last week, the shield of faith. And at the first part of verse 17, Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation. 
You know, as we look, we were going to answer this first question, what was the purpose of the Roman soldier's helmet? But let's take a look just so that you can envision in your mind, these are actual helmets that have been recovered from archaeological digs that are in museums at this point in time. And so I want you to to take note as you look at these images of some key things that were true about a Roman soldier's helmet. There were some key features. If you notice, most of them had, though you can't see it in the picture, they were leather helmets to begin with, and then they would have had some type of metal that would have been cast around that leather. The leather would have provided some comfort instead of just having metal up against their heads. But what's fascinating about these helmets is that the primary purpose was very clear in that. In fact, if you look, it was a helmet that covered all of their head. And then if you notice, there was a visor that kind of came out in the front. But there was also, and I know they're popular now, it had a mullet on it, right? Y'all are like, you didn't know that was going on, did you, Pastor? But the helmet did. It had a scoop in the back that was there to protect them as well. And then if you notice, it had cheek pieces as well that would come down. Now, I know you are all very intelligent. You could probably, without me telling you, guess what was the purpose of the helmet of a Roman soldier. It's not a trick question. It's very easy. It was to protect the head, the neck, and the cheek, the face of the soldier engaged in battle. Now, you may be tempted to think this was primarily tied to hand-to-hand combat, and certainly it would have been something that would have been utilized for that as well. But most of the hand-to-hand combat with Roman soldiers were done with a smaller dagger-type sword, and it was not what they were primarily using this helmet as protection from. In fact, armies would have cavalrymen, those that were on horses, as they were engaged in battle, they would have what was a longer sword, somewhere between three and a half to four feet long. It was, had a blade on both sides. It was a two-edged sword, and it would have had a handle that this soldier on the back of a horse would have gripped with both hands. So just kind of imagine that, and they would ride into battle And their entire goal as they were heading into battle was, how many heads can I chop off? That was their goal. As they were heading into battle, they would have been swinging this sword as they were riding on their horses into battle. So for a Roman soldier, you have to picture in their minds that they are utilizing this helmet to provide protection, certainly for their head, In fact, what they have found as they've dug through and figured out how these helmets were utilized is that most of them, many of them that they've recovered, would have had blows from swords that there was evidence of in that. So just just imagine that in your mind for a Roman soldier that they would have had these cavalrymen that were coming against them with these large swords and they would have been hitting them in the head. Without the helmet... There was absolutely no hope for them. 
And the mullet on the back of the helmet would have protected their neck as well so that they were not decapitated if the sword was coming through. And then the the cheek protection would have helped their face as well for protection. In fact, no soldier would have gone into battle without the helmet affixed on their head. It was that important for them. So here's question number two. If that's what the helmet functioned as for the Roman soldier and Paul is making this connection with salvation, we've got to ask the question, what is salvation? Very simply put, definition for you, if you want to write this down, it is deliverance from the power of sin and its consequences, which includes death and eternal separation from God. What is salvation? It is deliverance from the power of sin and its consequences, which includes death and eternal separation from God. It's interesting when you walk through Scripture, what you realize is that the Scripture unpacks salvation for us using three primary terms. Two of them we've talked about before when we talked about righteousness. But I want us to walk back through both of those and then an additional term as the Scripture unpacks for us. What is salvation? What does it mean to be delivered from the power of sin and its consequences in our lives? And the hope that only Jesus Christ is the one who can do that. Well, the first term I want you to write down is the word justification. Justification, it's a legal term. It's a term that we've unpacked before. It simply means being declared righteous. And oftentimes in Scripture, when the issue of salvation is talked about, being saved from our sin, being delivered from the curse of death, both physical and spiritual, when we talk about salvation, we talk about justification, being declared righteous. And we've said before that that is on the basis not of what we do, but totally on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So you may have come in this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never experienced salvation as we're about to unpack it here. You need to recognize and understand that the problem that every single human being has is a sin problem. You look across the spectrum of what's going on in the world today. You say, we've got, we've got political problems. We've got all kinds of problems that exist in the world. But at its root, every problem is a sin problem. And there is nothing that we in and of ourselves can do about our sin. Which is why Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, stepped foot out of heaven and came to this earth and laid his life down for us to pay the debt of sin that we owed. And he rose from the grave securing salvation for us, making it possible for us to be declared righteous if we will trust in him alone for salvation. And for you this morning, that may be the step that you need to take. 
I'm going to share later on in the message the story of a guy that, as you see the baptism there, we're going to baptize towards the end of our second service, but a guy who came to faith in Christ from a Buddhist background. It's just a fascinating story of his recognition that there was no hope for him apart from Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning, there is no hope for you and for forgiveness of your sin apart from Jesus Christ. We talk about salvation. We talk oftentimes about justification, being declared righteous. I want you to take note of Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, and I would encourage you to spend some time this week in your time with the Lord just reflecting on and, and marinating in the truth of what this reminds us of. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been declared righteous. Listen to what Paul writes. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When we talk about salvation, most definitely we are talking about what Scripture calls justification, being declared righteous on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. But not only in Scripture is the word justification used when we talk about salvation, but there's another term that's used. It's the word sanctification, which simply means being set apart or becoming more righteous, becoming more holy. In fact, we would talk about it in this way, becoming more and more like Jesus, and what's fascinating is oftentimes Scripture, when it talks about salvation, we just think about we've been declared justified on the basis of what Christ has done. So we're good, right? Well, what Scripture says is that in the life of every single believer, that we continue to grow in righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work within us, causing us to bear fruit in this world. And so we have to have a comprehensive understanding of what salvation is. It's not just justification, though that's vitally important for us to understand. But sanctification is a vital part of salvation. An authentic believer in Jesus Christ will continue to grow in righteousness. There will be fruit that is evident in our lives. That fruit is not fruit that is seeking to earn salvation. It is simply the fruit of someone who has been justified by Christ. In fact, Paul emphasizes this. I want you to take note in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 19, another passage. I would encourage you this 
week to spend some time marinating in. But this is what he writes. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, listen, leading to sanctification. When Scripture talks about salvation, a fully understood picture includes both justification, being declared righteous, but it also includes sanctification, that is, growing in righteousness to look more and more like Jesus. But there's a third term, and it's the term glorification. These three terms are the terms when we think about salvation, if we're going to have a full picture of what salvation is, we need to understand these three. So what is glorification? Well, it is realized righteousness, realized righteousness, which happens when either we draw our last breath here or Christ Jesus returns. It is the fullness of salvation realized. Because what you and I know is that we still, even though we've been justified, declared righteous, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle as we pursue righteousness in our lives. But the promise that is made by the Lord Jesus is there is a day that is coming when for every single believer you will experience, you will realize fully the fullness of your salvation. You will experience the presence of God for all eternity. Sin will no longer be a problem, no longer be an issue in your life. You'll experience the fullness of being in the presence of Christ. You see, if we don't have a full understanding of salvation, we will struggle to understand what Paul means by putting on the helmet of salvation. And so if I could just say this, and you may want to write it down and take some time to reflect on it, but, but to understand, I want you to, to grasp justification, sanctification, glorification in this phrase. We have been saved. We are being saved, and we will be saved. All of those are true in the life of a believer. We have been declared righteous. We have been saved. Christ's righteousness covers us. But we are also growing in righteousness. We are being sanctified day in and day out. 
And then one day, we will be saved. We will experience the fullness of salvation for all eternity. Now, as we think about that, I want us to ask this third question. Why does Paul use helmet of salvation? Why does he take this helmet that the Roman soldiers would have worn, and why does he connect it with salvation for us? Well, I think it's vitally important to recognize that Satan's attack oftentimes in our lives as believers happens right here. Right here. My dad would say sometimes, hey, son, why don't you use that thing up there besides something to hold your ears apart? He attacks us in our minds. What we think, what we believe, what we think is true, what we believe is true. And if the most important thing about us as a follower of Jesus is what Christ has done in saving us from our sin, then don't you think that Satan's attack in our minds is going to be questioning this salvation, this greatest gift that we've received? In fact, that's exactly what he seeks to do. First, salvation reminds us what we have been saved from. And this is vital protection from Satan's attack. Follower of Jesus, what have you been saved from? You've been saved from Sin and the consequences of sin in your life. Death physically, death spiritually, no hope for the future. You have been saved from that. So do not be surprised that Satan's attack in your life is often going to center around the reality of if that's true or not. The attack's often going to center around well, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure that you actually have been saved. I'm not sure that because of what's going on in your life right now, I mean, do you remember what you were like? I mean, do you remember all of that? This is Satan's attack lodged towards us. Do you, do you remember the things you used to do? Do you really think that Jesus can save you from that? Do you remember the way you used to treat people? Do you remember the things ungodly that you used to? Do you, is, do you really think Jesus would save you from that? That is the attack of the enemy oftentimes in our lives as believers to cause us to question whether or not we've experienced forgiveness of our sins or not. I want you to recognize that that attack is going to come have conversations with believers often, and that's where they struggle. They struggle in, pastor, you don't know what my life used to look like. And even in conversation with people who are not yet believers, who don't think that Jesus can save them as a result of what they used to do. I want you to gain some perspective this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
what you have been saved from. And that should cause within us rejoicing this morning that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we didn't deserve it, he laid his life down for us. But not only does salvation remind us what we have been saved from, salvation reminds us what we have been saved for. And this is vital protection from Satan's attack. See, oftentimes the enemy's attack in the life of a believer is going to center around, well, God can't use you. God can't use you because of what you've done or because, I mean, look at your life right now. I mean, look at what's going on now. Look at the doubts that you have now. Look at the struggles that you have now. And there's no way God could use you to accomplish his purpose. And there are oftentimes believers who just simply take themselves out of the game, spiritually speaking, because of the attack of the enemy in this area. But I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that God has saved you for a purpose. That is to glorify him in all that you do. That is to pursue him with all of your heart. That is to experience the fruit of the spirit in your life as you continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what's absolutely fascinating. If you are a follower of Jesus, whether you have been saved for seven minutes or 70 years, Here's the same truth. You've not yet arrived. You've not yet arrived. You're not done. And God is not done working in and through you. You can retire from your job, but you can't retire from being a Christian. There's no retirement in Scripture. There's no point at which you can say, Jesus, I'm, I, I've reached it, I'm done. Doesn't happen. Which reminds us that we have been saved for a purpose. That is to live out a life that glorifies the Lord Jesus. And don't you know that Satan would love to do everything he could to discourage you or to dissuade you from doing that? So don't believe that that attack is not coming because it is coming. And here's the third. Salvation reminds us what we have been saved to. And this is vital protection from Satan's attack. Let me ask you this question. What does the future look like for the follower of Jesus? What does your future look like? What is coming your way? What is coming my way? Ultimately, glorification. Ultimately, being in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. Ultimately, experiencing the fullness of salvation. And yet, don't you know that at every turn, Satan's attack is going to be to dissuade us from believing and hoping in that as what's coming. 
So if he can get us bogged down into the details of life now, if he can get us discouraged by the difficulties that we experience now, the pain, the hurt that we experience now, as we look around us and become chicken little in this world, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. No, the reality is Jesus is coming. For us as followers of Jesus, we have every reason to hope because of what we've been saved to. That is the promise we have. You know, it's interesting that when I was playing baseball, my first two years, we had a wonderful team, but for whatever reason, we just couldn't figure it out. Just couldn't figure out how to play together, couldn't figure out how to win games. And about halfway through the season, our coach came in one day, and he said this. He said, I figured out what the problem is. He said, it's all up here. And then he taped a picture of a squirrel in the dugout. And he said this, y'all are acting like a bunch of squirrels. Now, I grew up in South Georgia. Used to shoot squirrels out of trees, Right? But this is what he said, if you are riding down the road, have you ever noticed a squirrel that decides it's ready to cross the road? And he runs hard till he hits the middle and turns and pops up and looks at you. Ever seen that? You know what I'm talking about? And then most of the time, the squirrel turns and runs back the way that it came. And he said, the reality is, for you, that's exactly what you were doing, playing together. You can't figure out how to cross the road. You can't figure out how to keep moving forward because mentally, in your mind, you don't recognize what the next step looks like. You don't understand what is possible if you continue to press on. And oftentimes, Satan's desire in our lives is to attack us on these fronts to discourage us in what we have been saved from, what we have been saved for, what we have been saved to, so that we simply sit in the middle of the road, spiritually speaking, and never move forward. So here's the fourth question. How do we live it out? How do we daily put on the helmet of salvation? Well, first, I want to encourage you to embrace the already not yet reality of salvation. It brings hope. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? The already not yet reality of salvation. Well, the reality is that you are already saved if you're a follower of Jesus but you've not yet experienced the fullness of that yet. That day's coming. You're already saved from your sins. In fact, you have been declared righteous on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done, but but you're not yet in terms of your actions day in and day out living perfectly righteous. Amen? 
And that would cause us to grow discouraged, but I want you to recognize that that should bring hope in our lives because it reminds us that God is not done working in us. So when you wake up every single day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to remind yourself, God's not done with me yet. God's not done with me yet. There's still work that he is doing in and through me. There's still pursuit that I need to chase hard after him. And instead of that being discouraging in our lives, which Satan often would love to bring that towards us, let that be hope for us. It's coming. The promise has already been made. Salvation has already been secured. The victory has already been won. There's no doubt that it's going to be accomplished in my life as a follower of Jesus. The already not yet doesn't bring despair for us. It brings hope. And then here's the second thing. Escape the enemy's attack. Listen to this. By saturating your mind with truth, because it brings peace. If you do any type of grilling or cooking, one of the things that you know that's vitally important is to marinate the meat that you're cooking. You want it swimming in the marinade so that it soaks up all of the juices that is in the marinade so that when you cook it, you taste the flavor, the marinade comes out in the meat. I want you to hear me. As a follower of Jesus, we have the opportunity day in and day out to soak in the truth of what God's word says about us as a result of what Jesus Christ has done. As we reflect on sanctification, as we reflect on justification, as we reflect on glorification, what we are able to do is rewire our minds in such a way that that is what oozes out of us. And in the midst of the attack of the enemy, that is what brings peace in our lives. Instead of doubt, instead of discouragement, Instead of a lack of hope, instead of a lack of peace for us as followers of Jesus, as a result of what Christ has done, we experience the fullness of salvation. We experience the hope that Jesus Christ brings. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads this morning. With your heads bowed this morning, I just want to simply share with you that in the next service, we'll have the opportunity to baptize Loy. Loy's story is absolutely incredible. Grew up in a Buddhist family. All of his family, even now, are still Buddhists. And yet he came to the realization that there was no hope apart from Jesus Christ. As he read the scriptures, as he began to listen to sermons, as he began to recognize and understand that there's nothing he could do to change his standing before God because of good works or anything like that, that his only hope was a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
regardless of what it would cost him, he took that step of trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior. I have no doubt this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed that there's some in this room who have never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. You're depending on your works. You're depending on being a good person. None of that. God's word is clear. will save you from your sin. None of that will preserve you from experiencing eternal torment for all eternity in hell. Your only hope this morning is salvation through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, like Lloyd, to take that step. We'd love to help you take that step this morning. One of our pastors is down front. Even now and after the service concludes, we'll be down front. We'd love to talk with you, share with you more about what it means to take that step of trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But maybe you're already a believer this morning, and I just want to encourage you to reflect on the truth of what it means for you to be saved from your sin, to be delivered from the consequences that were due to you, and that Jesus Christ has stood in your place. I want to encourage you to reflect on the hope that you have because of what Christ has done, the joy that you have, the peace that he provides. And in the midst of attack, would you allow the truth of God's word to saturate your mind, to point you back to how great a salvation you have because of what Christ has done. Father, we ask that you'd work in our hearts and our lives during this time. Apply your word, challenge us, convict us. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand as we sing? Our altar's open, our pastors are down front. If you need to take a step this morning, I wanna encourage you to do that.